0: Abolition. Abolition.
1: Thank you, Chair smith Warner, Vice Chairs, Drazen and Holvey and members of the committee for holding this public hearing and allowing me to speak on behalf of SJR 10. I'm Melissa Bees Michaud, a professor of politics, policy, law and ethics at Willamette University. I teach and study about the American criminal justice system. As a nation, we are long overdue in coming to terms with our history, our legacy of slavery, and ensuring the political, social, and economic rights of all our people. The state of Oregon also needs to come to terms with its history of racial exclusion and racial inequality. Although the territory of Oregon banned slavery, it also expelled black Oregonians. Those who stayed in Oregon were subject to flogging. The flogging punishment was eventually changed to forced labor. When Oregon entered the Union in 1859 on the eve of the Civil War, it forbade black people from moving and settling within the state's quarters. Further, it allowed slavery for those convicted of a crime. While the Black Exclusion Law was repealed in 1926, the slavery exception still stands. And there are two important points here. One, the slavery exception meant that our prisons could become a substitute form of racial control. Throughout the 20th century, racial control was achieved through extra-legal means, especially the rise of the Ku Klux Klan in Oregon in the 1920s and 30s. So it's not an accident that mass incarceration begins after the Civil Rights Movement threatened to make real the long-promised citizenship and economic rights for African-Americans. Today, African-Americans and other men of color are disproportionately policed, prosecuted, and convicted of long sentences. The social science literature on this is clear. So ending the slavery exception is a matter of racial justice. My second point is that as a people, we no longer believe that slavery is an acceptable punishment for a crime. The practice of slavery was and is dehumanizing, immoral, and should be illegal under any and all circumstances. Symbols and language are meaningful for creating a sense of belonging. Or creating exclusion. People who are convicted of a crime do not deserve to be treated or thought of as less than a person, as Jordan so eloquently stated. Dehumanization, in fact, contributes to social alienation and shame that results in more violence, not less. My work with incarcerated people has taught me that inclusion and connection is essential to accountability and healing and it's time for the state of Oregon to unequivocally renounce slavery and dehumanization. We interrupt this program to bring you
2: a special report. Mastered economics because you took yourself from squal place mastered academic cause you're great you a scholar place right. master instagram cause you can instigate a follow yeah. look, at yeah. look, at yeah. look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar get it look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar get it yeah. look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar get it look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar get it look at all these
3: slave masters,
2: masters. Hey time, I'm on mine, I be minding mine. Every time, on my grind, I'm just trying to shine. Make a dollar, government, they want a dozen times. The petty kind might
1: kill you, cause they see you
2: shine. I just had to have a talk with myself many times. Am I a separate, cause I know I didn't get I get broke so too many times, I might slice some pine You believe corporations running? they're a fool. Patrick G ran by a casino on a food pedophile sponsor all these fucking things about And I told you once before that you should kill your master Now that's the line that's probably done in my ass up It's not the that you got options, right?
3: Master of opinion, cause you vote with the white collar but The 13th Amendment says that
2: slavery's abolished Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar, at it Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar, get it Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar, get it Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar, get it Look at it. Say, Man, you better duck out, get the bag and the bug out, uh. try the wrong hole, you might run your luck out, just when your face is loaded, they'll roll a grenade in the dugout. Earth vote, not a mellow bunch. We got to dump in the air like hella bust up. Look at who we done blessed but our trust. I don't think we'll be left with too much. Hand on my heart, on my mind, on my drugs. Got a bunny gut punch for your athletic shrugs. It's not luck just that dumb. Lord sweet Buddha, please make me numb. Rain flops off walls like a city in room, just found out it it's the stupid. Live by the super moon or two looses. Trust got fools in the blood, I'm fooling. Be beaverage in this is New York city. The X on the map with a pity, keep pity. Just a stuck here shitting. We're murderous, charm go cop 11. money don't matter. That's rich now in Get it? Comedy. Yeah. To sell pockets, supposed to get killed. It's nominee, cause you with Master you you Master you can instigate a follow. Yeah. Look at all these slave masters. Yeah. Yeah. Let it sink in. Yeah. Yeah. 2020, we the map. I get my hourglass, don't watch it spill to the bottom half. You see the peace, now running fast on the tarmac, get a starter jack, C4 when I run it back like a track star run a record lap. Nah, like when it's little cutter, look, poor pugilist. I shoot. The crew in this coming up through the fence Offshore at a quarter print Overjoyed at the prince On the hearts of the gate in the world of How can we be the peace? when the peace gonna reach for the worst Tear on the of the earth Stay set for a deafening reckoning Quick like the pace of a verse So questioning, this quest for things And the recipe for early death threatening
0: But the rest of me is what for you with just money. money Abolition, 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 abolition.
4: abolition. abolition.
5: You just heard Testimony of Oregon SJR 10 by Professor Melissa B. Michelle of Willamette University, followed by Run the Jewels by Just, featuring Killer Mike, Pharrell Williams, and Zach De La Peace, and welcome to Abolition Today a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by four prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m., 6 Central and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk radio network. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined as always by my co-host, my partner, my pal, my mentor, my main buddy, Max Parthis. Peace, Max.
0: All I'm saying is, look at all these fake actors posing on our dollars. <laughs> man, I'm here at the uh, Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center as always. What's happening, fam?
5: Hey, man. That track had me hyped right there. And I just want to remind our listeners that Abolition Today... Is pg is PG-13. We're an educational program, but I'll guess any of the artists we play and the tracks we play, they're what they say. We don't censor anyone. So we just wanted to put that out there. So last week we connected the corporate dots between African for-profit prisons and the U.S. model which they have adapted. We also highlighted the unspeakable human rights atrocities being committed by the state and those colonial-style hellholes. We'll give you an update on the Queen Mother's health. As you all recall, we uh, were scheduled to have uh, the Queen Mother of Benin on last week's broadcast, but she was ill and wasn't able to attend. So I'm sure when we get to the portion where Max tells us about this week, he'll probably have an update for us. This week we celebrate a victory for the abolitionist movement. In 2022, Oregon joins Tennessee as the first two states to put in an ending to legal slavery on the ballot since our 2020 wins in Nebraska and Utah. We'll be joined by the director of legislative strategy for Oasis, that's Oregonians Against Slavery and Involuntary Servitude, and lead organizer in the Oregon abolitionist efforts, Jordan Scott. She's an abolitionist superhero or shero, whichever you prefer to say. Other states are making their way through committees to do the same, including Vermont, California, and Ohio. We'll also uh, have federal legislation on the table with the 2020 Abolition Amendment. Since 2016, the abolitionists have been kicking asses and taking names. Even our losses turned into wins. We'll cover all that and much more, including powerful music mixes, incredible speeches, and we'll bridge the gap by bridging the ancestors' word back to life for a new uh, generation. So before we start, Max, tell us about your
0: week. Oh, man. Uh, that was a heck of an intro. We got a lot going on today for sure, for sure. Yeah, man. <laughs> and I'm uh, definitely looking forward to talking with Jordan. Uh, I've gotten to know her a little bit over the past few months. So she's uh, diligently worked to get this job done. And uh, her and her friends have got done, man. I'm so proud of them. It's amazing. And like you said, that opening track, that was powerful. Uh, the speech that came from uh, Melissa B. Michaud, uh, Michaud, uh that was mm-hmm. extremely powerful. Uh, it, it's one of the reasons I think that it passed through Oregon uh, is because of the testimonies that came out. If you remember, well, you—I know you do remember—but uh, there was an 11-year-old girl, even uh, young right. Jordan, who spoke, yeah, name and we was played Jordan as well, right? And we played her. Uh, but you know, I've been finding out so much about Oregon this past week. Uh, and then I, I realized back in 2016, I even did the Oregon is Ferguson report, where I broke down their prisons right. and jails and all of that. So I've been kind of looking at Oregon for a while, but I, there's some things I didn't know. Like, I didn't know there was a white utopia. <laughs> That's new news to me, that they plan to make it a white utopia. Um, but, yeah, you asked me what my week is. Let me let me give you the, what news I can. Uh, okay. We just found out recently that on august twenty eighth the a s n n we knew this part already is celebrating its first birthday in a year we have managed to move mountains uh, as everybody knows that right. this is to this program you know uh, we've got three states that have abolished uh, slavery already under our belt we've got a federal resolution or a new amendment on the table that would end slavery, and we've got about half a dozen or more states with legislation that's going to committees to get it done that is unprecedented so it'll be our first official anniversary on August 28th it's also the anniversary of the March on Washington and the Martin Luther King jr. speech I have a dream so I was asked to come and speak at one of the events that they're having through our fiscal sponsor March on uh, they're having one in DC with the King family another in California another in Atlanta and I think there's one in New York as well uh, and everybody expected me to go to D.C., you know what I mean? Like, what poet wouldn't want to go to D.C. on the right. anniversary of the I Have a Dream speech and try to make an impact, you know? But I was like, Nah, I want to be with my brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and sons and granddaughters and grandsons. They're all in California. And friends are right. out there. So I'll be in California on August 28th. And you'll be there with me from what I understand. You told me earlier today, Absolutely. is that correct?
5: Absolutely. That is correct. I will be out there in Sacramento.
0: Sacramento, California. That's right. August 28th, UCF and Max Parts. So we'll probably be broadcasting live uh, the day after the 28th to 29th from Sacramento. And we're also doing a couple of special events on that day. In addition to uh, me speaking, we have ASNM leadership members going to each of those states to represent during the marches. Uh, That's going to be powerful in itself. And then, Later that evening, I think it's 4 or 5 p.m. Eastern, we're going to do a special digital broadcast, and we've got some really powerful guests coming in to speak, as well as an artist. Uh, But you'll also hear from us then on our anniversary. We'll tell you about who we are, uh, where we all came from, what we're doing now, and where we're going. I expect it to be an incredibly uh, powerful, powerful evening. So that's been my week.
5: And do you have an update on the Queen? Uh, Yes. Communication with uh, Sean Darling?
0: Yes. Uh, Sean contacted me. I I reached out to her that evening, of course, and, you know, that's when we found out that she was sick. Um, And then uh, maybe two or three days later, uh, she said she was, she has sleeping like 17-hour days, she said. But she was starting to feel better. And then yesterday, I got the news that she feels about 95% better. So it's been about a week. And she's starting to recover now. So it's not COVID if that's the case, which is what we were afraid of. You know what I mean? She comes from Berlin right. and then get to America and get the cooties. We, we didn't want that to happen. Uh, so, yeah, she, she sounds like she's going to be all right. So what we're going to try to do is reschedule her to come in in August while she's still in New York because, um, you know, she has to go back to Benin. But I think she's going back mid-August, so hopefully we can get her in uh, before she leaves.
5: That's great, Max. So uh, right. I'm ready to get into it with our guest. I'm super excited right. to have her here. You want to bring
6: her in?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, let me start out by reading to you the bio. Uh, Jordan she/her, is a co-founder and the director of the Legislative Strategy for Oasis. She is primarily responsible for communications with legislators and conducting legislative research. Jordan first got involved in constitutional change when she interned at the Oregon State Capitol and stumbled upon the Slavery Exception Clause in the Oregon State Constitution. Over the next year, Jordan advocated for a proposed amendment which would remove the language of slavery from the Constitution, despite the uncooperative legislative process Jordan's pursuit for constitutional change was reinvigorated after taking a class which brought students into Oregon State Penitentiary to learn about restorative justice alongside incarcerated men. Jordan is a graduate of Williamette University. She holds a dual BA in English and politics, policy, law, and ethics. Ladies and gentlemen, Jordan Scott, welcome to Abolition Today.
6: Thank you so much for
3: having me. I'm excited to be
0: on today. Uh, it well, may only be well, canned applause, but it's sincere. They're <laughs> <canned> applauding <laughs> they oh, you all around it. the world right now. <laughs> oh, time, I, uh, so as, as I said, I'm so proud of what you have managed to accomplish, and I know you didn't do it alone. So at any point, if you want to give me a shout-out to your team, let them know that we love them and we appreciate them. Uh, That's fine with me, because you and they are literally heroes. You're doing something that hasn't ever been done. We all thought slavery was over. We thought Oregon ended slavery, right? And what did you just do? Ended constitutional slavery, or you're about to end constitutional slavery in Oregon. It's at the stage, at least, where the voters will decide. And I'm pretty sure Oregonians are going to be like, slavery? Oh, hell to the norm.
6: That is that is exactly our hope. It was, um, I mean, as as you read in my bio, you know, I stumbled upon this language and was absolutely shocked. I had absolutely no idea that this was an issue we were still dealing with. It's certainly not a topic we talk about, you know, in, in normal day-to-day conversation. Um, and so when I, you know, figured this out, I was like, all right, well, something has to be done. And I guess that uh, if I don't do it, no one's going to. So um, I was lucky enough to not be the only person that uh, cared deeply about this and, and was able to connect with a number of uh, wonderful individuals who were um, also uh, current students at the time and then uh, a little bit later alum from Willamette University. Um, and we, we partnered up with a, a group of just absolutely astounding um, individuals inside of OSP, Oregon State Penitentiary, um, and have been uh, really working alongside them and, and pushing, pushing their vision um, to make sure that this language is, is no longer a part of our, um, of our history.
0: I saw an article earlier today from William at uh, EDU uh, where they had picture of you and three others on there. I was like, look at that. That's how you, that's that's the future right there. You, you are the future. You and others like you all across America who are literally uh, making this change in constitutions uh, to start a cascade effect. Because we know this is going to affect other things. It's going to take a little time, but it will affect other things. It's already being challenged. So uh, it was awesome to see that article. Uh, coming out of the, as I said, uh, Williamette, EDU. We'll share it on our page so others can see it, too. Uh, You said you stumbled upon the 13th Amendment or that language in Oregon, at least, uh, respectively. What does that mean, stumbled upon it? It, Was it like um, Sister Sadashqor, when she was in prison and the guard told her, you know, slavery's still legal in the prisons? How did it happen for you?
6: You know, it, it wasn't too too far from that. Um, you know, I think we, we all grow up. I think to some degree. Um, you know, in in grade school, talking about the you know talking about slavery and about the 13th Amendment as if it was in the past. You know, we talk about it in the past tense, um, and it wasn't until I was in college that uh, I actually had a had a professor that came to me and said. Um, You know, hey, a couple of other students uh, were doing some research in their legislative offices at the Capitol um, and and kind of, you know, discovered this startling language in the Oregon State Constitution, and and I thought you'd be interested in it. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I uh, did some more research and, and, you know, became aware in a really kind of scary way um, that we were all just existing in this world where (laughs) slavery was definitely not illegal yet. Um, and again, we, we talk about it as if, as if it's completely in the past, but it's a, a very clear, present issue. Um, and so after kind of discovering this, myself and, and two other students at the time um, brought forth some legislation, and unfortunately, we were very late in the session um, and, and under-prepared uh, for exactly what this movement would be. We kind of thought, oh, well this is a clear issue and and everyone will care about it and then they'll get rid of it and it'll it'll all be good. And it certainly was not that simple, (laughs) Um, but we were, we were able to, to, you know, give it a, give it a good first try. And when we uh, failed spectacularly, we were able to take a step back and say, okay, it wasn't that easy. How do we do this? You know, how do we do this for real? And we spent a year and a half, you know, organizing and preparing and, making a lot of connections um, and and figuring out exactly what we needed to do to to be successful. And, uh, you know, here we are. So we're getting there.
0: (laughs) Amen to that. I remember we were in a meeting with ASNN and Paris Dutchman from Senator Merkley's office one day, and they were preparing for the federal amendment. The first time it was introduced, I believe, it was December 9th in 2020. And I mentioned that, you know, Oregon has an exception clause to him, too. I said, you know, it would look kind of strange if you attempted to end slavery on a federal level, and yet slavery is still legal in your own state. And then, like, I don't know, a day or two days later, uh, he had me in contact with you, or or they had me in contact with you. And I was like, wow, that was quick. (laughs) Yeah, that
6: did it. Yeah, no, we've had an incredible – I got uh, got to working with um, a member of Senator Merkley's team who was just a phenomenal help and has been – Standing with us you know through every step of this process um tara is her name and she's she's absolutely wonderful um and uh yeah they they reached out and um you know i think i reached out early early on in the process and was one of those you know many emails i sent that never got back to me (laughs) Um, and uh and and finally i heard back and uh and she was like yep how can we help and they were i mean just an absolutely you know we, we talk about this as if you know, as if Oasis did this alone, and that's just absolutely not true. You know, the, our, our team, you know, put a lot into this effort, but we could not have done it without so, so, so many people um, and other organizations who really stood behind us, and, and definitely Merkley's team was one of those.
0: Yes, I find across the states people are willing to help. They're not always willing to take the, the helm, but they are certainly willing to help along the way. And if you're willing to take the helm and lead the way, they'll push forward for you. Uh, So that is awesome. Um, Like I said, I've been studying some of Oregon and some of the things I found out kind of uh, messed up my head, like this white utopia, that it was founded to be a white utopia. And there was a point in the 1800s where if you were black and in Oregon, if you didn't leave within, I think, what was it, 60 days, you would get 30, no, six months, you would get 39 public lashes. And every time another six months came and went, another 39 public lashes. I was like, wow, what the hell, man? Um, and then yeah. I also realized that back in the 1800s is when they started with the for-profit private prisons uh, experiment back then as well. So I suspect a lot of the people who didn't leave ended up in prisons working for free. Um, any commentary on yeah. that?
6: Yeah, absolutely. It's It was another piece of this puzzle that uh, – as we were doing a lot of research and, you know, figuring out exactly what this would mean, you know, it came to our attention. But yeah, Oregon had the exclusion law of 1844 that I think that uh, the recording earlier of uh, of Professor Michaud, who is another one of the people that um, we absolutely could not have done this without, um, but she mentioned, um, and it was, yeah, Black people who tried to settle in Oregon were um, first forced to do public labor. um, And after that, Um, were uh, expelled from the state and um, punished by um, both manual labor and physical beating um, if they did not leave. And so, you know, you look around, you know, as as a person of color living in Oregon, you look around Oregon and you wonder why it's so white. And it's not not accidental. It is um, absolutely orchestrated. It is extremely purposeful. Um, why this is such a white state, um, and it, it's got a, a long and dark history. Um, and it's, again, one of those things we just don't talk a lot about. You know, I grew up in, it's funny you mentioned Sacramento. I grew up in Sacramento, um, which is a, a much more diverse place than, than Oregon. Um, and, and coming here for college, I I was shocked. I was, you know, and consistently um, uh, shocked that it was such a white place. And it wasn't until, you know, I had started doing a lot of this research and, and learned about kind of the history of, of settling in Oregon, that I was like, oh, okay, it makes perfect sense. This is exactly how uh, how Oregon's founders wanted wanted Oregon to be. This is uh, explicitly purposeful. So it's, a, it's another, you know, big piece of this puzzle that makes this work so important is that we have to face our history. You know, we have to acknowledge that, you know, there's a reason that we're standing in the place we are, and, and there's, you know, a clear path to, to try to mend those harms.
0: Well, I know that you're proud of your state and the progressiveness that it has in the past couple of years expressed. Uh, not only have you got ending slavery on the ballot in the state, your senator is the one that uh, originally pushed forward the federal amendment o- over there, but you've managed to end Jim Crow laws uh, in your state with the 10 and 2 juries as well uh and you decriminalize just about every drug there is you know so yeah i know you must be feeling pretty kind of kind of good about oregon with that right
6: there's there's definitely a lot of pride that i have for this state um you know i've I've been here for over four years now and um definitely it's, it's becoming a place i call home and um and the progress that we're making is is really beautiful um and it's also hard fought for you know it's it's not progress that has come easily you know all of all of the the steps forward that you've mentioned you know have taken a lot of time and effort <laughs> from various uh groups, organizations, individuals, um certainly a lot of blood sweat and tears uh to to make that change happen and I think that it's you know one of the beautiful things about Oregon and I think also you know again one of those things we have to kind of kind of face is is that yes very progressive state um, and especially in the last few years there's been a lot of um, incredible movements that, that have uh, pushed pushed Oregon even further to the left. Um, and it's been a push you know it has it has been a, a, a big big push uh, that we have all I think um, had to kind of bear down on and, and keep working at to make sure that that, that change actually happens.
0: You said pushing Oregon to the left. Is it, Do you think that freedom is a left uh, ideology?
6: Not necessarily. Not at all. Um, no, and actually, it was one of the things that I'm glad you, glad you brought that up. It's one of the things that when we were, um, myself and, and um, the other Willamette alum that were founding Oasis uh, about a year and a half ago now, when we first started working on this, we made it very clear that we did not want this to be a partisan issue. We, you know, we were very explicit that we wanted this to be something that we could all agree on. It was, um, you know, especially in the, uh, you know, in the political climate that we are still in, but especially that we were in a year and a half ago, um, you know, there was nothing that, that either party could agree on with each other. And we kind of all sat down and we were like, if nothing else, don't you think we can all just agree on this? <laughs> um, so it's definitely been a nonpartisan issue that we've been um, you know, really, really purposeful um in, in trying to make it a nonpartisan issue. Um I also think, you know, to be completely blunt, you know, we the the you know, the walls that we've come up against have not come from the left. <laughs> the walls that we have right. come up against have come from the right. So so no, this should not at all be a partisan issue. Um, and yet, you know, in practice, um, it has been more partisan than we had, had hoped it would be at the beginning of this fight.
0: Um, I want to call out a few people. There were actually four representatives who voted no, and wanted to keep slavery legal in Oregon. That was Representative Boqu- Boquiste Is that that how it's pronounced, Boquist, B-O-Q-U-I-S-T, Boquist, Representative Hurd, Representative Lysicum, and Representative Robinson. Those four actually voted no and wanted to keep slavery legal in Oregon. Any commentary in regards to that happening? Yeah, I'd love to address that. So
6: we actually had those those four that you just called out are the um, the senators that that voted no um, on our, our second mm-hmm. trip to the Senate, um, and there were actually seven representatives as well that voted no on the House floor. Um, these representatives are mostly um, uh, individuals who we. Who we so it was seven
0: representatives against. and four senators. Is that what happened?
6: Right. Yeah, that's correct. Seven representatives okay. and, and four senators. Yep. Um, and uh, and most of these people were were. Um, Uh, electeds that we had reached out to throughout the session to chat about this issue and had never heard back from Um, i think that one of the uh kind of outside of our own control one of the factors about this session was that it was completely virtual so because of covid um, the oregon state capitol was not open to the public and so a number of these um, representatives and senators were voting blanket nos on every measure that came in front of them um, as a form of protest for not allowing the capital to be open to the public, so I, I believe that if you mm. if you ask them ask them to their face they would say many of them not all um, but many of them would say that th- their vote had nothing to do with with what the substance of the measure did. Um, however, that said, there are definitely some that um, had issue with the with the language. Um, we had um, a couple of amendments introduced to the proposal um, throughout session. Um, and a lot of that was to address the concerns that this would potentially decrease opportunities, um, uh, whether that was alternates to incarceration or work programs within prison, um, a, a number of things that, that many. And again, I'll, I'll generalize a little here, but it was, it was mostly you know, Republican representatives and, and senators who were bringing these concerns forth. Um, so it was definitely, I think, a divide between people who were voting uh, an ideological no um, based on something entirely outside of this movement um, and others that you know, saw this language as potentially uh, harmful to the people we were trying to help. Now, obviously, we maintain that it's not. Um, we worked very hard to make sure that this, uh, that this language would, be, um, would not be you know, used in a way that it wasn't intended to be used. We worked closely with um, constitutional experts. We worked closely with incarcerated individuals, the people that are most impacted, um, to ensure that, that we would really, you know, make sure that this language would do exactly what we wanted it to do. Um, but there were some that still saw this as problematic. And, and you know, I, I, there's, there's a part of me that, uh, in, a, in a weird roundabout way, almost respects the no vote um, in, in that way that's like, you know what, if that's really what you believe, then, then fine. You're not stopping this movement. But if you want to throw out a no vote, all right, you know what? You, you've said your piece. Um, we've we've tried to sway you. Um, and hopefully the uh, the state won't feel the same way as these, you know, select 90 individuals.
0: The road to hell is filled with good intentions, man.
1: To mm-hmm. be and on
0: the you know, wrong side that's of history, we a lot. you know, choosing something like that to be on the wrong side of history is just it's unacceptable. Um, You know, we have been pushing out this narrative and trying to re-educate people about circumstances of slavery. And I know some people might be listening and go, come on, Oregon, slavery, what what kind of proof of that do you have? So uh, I want to provide some, uh, uh, one historical and another present. So let's go with the present. And then after that, I'm going to play a clip uh, from Sister uh, Walida in Marisha. Yeah, Walida and Marisha, and we'll listen to that together. And then I want to get your commentary on the other side, all right? So sure. The, sure. the data I want to provide right now is from the ferguson, or the is ferguson report I did back in 2016. And the earliest uh, data that I had was from 2013. So in 2013, uh, as far as incarceration rates per 100,000, There was 502 whites per 100,000 versus 2,930 blacks per 100,000. They were being incarcerated at six to one, and yet they only made up 2% of the statewide population. So that's going on right now. To think that an exception clause in any legal document would not be exploited is very naive. We're going to go ahead and listen to Walida Marisha. Black Exclusion Laws in Oregon's Racist History. And that's going to be followed by Gaslighting Evil Apple Bum Part 2 from Proposition Campbell. You're listening to Abolition Today with our guests Jordan Schott, Max Parthis, and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back after this. Abolition Today.
7: You know, the death of George Floyd has many people here taking a closer look at Oregon's black history. A Portland woman has dedicated much of her life to studying and teaching about that very topic. Her name is Walida Imarisha and she's an educator and historian. So today we want to highlight her work as part of our series of community conversations. Walida, thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, You know, let's start with this. When people think about um, racism, I think a lot of people think of slavery in the south, but let's talk Oregon's history. How far back do you have to go to find that sort of inequality? Absolutely, I think that's really important that a lot of myths about race are told in this country, one of them being that racism is something that's located in the South. The reality is racism is an American problem. Malcolm X said anything South of the Canadian border is the South. And so the issues around race and the foundations of white supremacy in Oregon have existed since before Oregon was a state. Uh, The foundations of, of the Oregon Territory were as a racist white utopia. And we can see that by many laws that have been passed, especially the Black Exclusion Law, the first one was passed in 1844, which outlawed Black people from living in the Oregon Territory, which was the entire Northwest. That law also included the Lash Law that said that Black people would be publicly whipped up to 39 lashes every six months until we left. So from the very foundation of Oregon as a territory, as a state, this has been the product of being a racist white person. We talk about, um, you know, Portland labeling itself a a, a progressive city, but in fact, um, it's 70% white. So why do you think that is and why, why haven't more black people moved to this area? I think, again, it's incredibly important the foundations of Oregon, the foundations of Portland are as a racist white utopia. And those, the, the institutions that shape all of our lives are rooted in that foundation of white supremacy. And you see it enacting in, in every indicator across the board. So if you look at things like the Urban League of Portland State of Black Oregon report, you see in every category there are huge disparities between black and white experiences on education, on housing, on criminal legal uh, you know, um, engagements, on environmental justice. This is again not by coincidence. This is by design. And Oregon and Portland have not ever committed to doing the real work of uprooting institutional racism, preferring to, you know, give liberal lip service, which does nothing except really gaslight people of color about their experience about their experience, about their
3: experience.
2: I saw the mask, I saw the mask, like, right in my front yard, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, what the fuck is that shit? You know what I mean? The mask she put on, man. I swear to God, man. It's like, some of the craziest shit I've been through, man. This bitch is fucking crazy. <laughs> but I let you tell the story. Here we go. You know what nigga own? Uh- Gaslighting cause you know a nigga on to you Tryna front like I done done something wrong to you Never owning up to your shit, bitch, I'm on to you You can fool everybody else, but your damn show ain't gon' fool me I ain't no sucker ass nigga Brown nosing for that tainted coochie to my senses, being with you is senseless, wanted to work it out, but now I realize it's a death wish, you like it more when I'm helpless, up here broken as fuck, but I ain't really trying to go and try my luck made a mistake eating from that devil's cake should never partake in sweets if hate is the ingredient trauma bonded to that of which in the beginning felt great but there's a very thin line between love and hate and i ain't confront like i ain't make no mistakes but i ain't deserve half the shit you put on my plate Projecting, i never was a violent man but let you tell it you gon' twist around in front of your friends to make me the villain the movies in your head rather than wear your true face, you wear a mask instead you dropped your face bitch <laughs> you dropped your face bitch you know a nigga on to you guys like it cause you know a nigga on to you try to front like i done done something wrong to you never
0: own up to your shit bitch i'm on to you you can fool everybody else but your damn show ain't gonna fool me. Lug ass in the ground. Them for that Abolition. 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 Abolition.
5: Abolition. <laughs> that was Walida and Marisha, Black Exclusion Laws in Oregon's Racist History, followed by Gaslighting, Evil Apple Bum Part 2 by Proposition Campbell. You're back on with Max Parthis, Yusuf Hassan, and our guest, Jordan Scott. Uh, let's continue the conversation. I uh, will start with you, Jordan. What did you think of the uh, of Walida's talk and and also the track?
7: Yeah, I mean,
6: I think that that gets to the heart of this issue. Um, you know what what Walida is talking about. You know is is exactly the problem here. Is that Oregon does tout itself, and especially Portland, but but you know the entire state touts itself as as a progressive you know bastion of of liberal ideals. And, you know, to some degree it is. Um, and in a lot of ways it isn't. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a juxtaposition that we kind of fight with, um, you know, standing up and saying one thing. And then, you know, you look at Portland and exactly it's 70% white, you know. Like that is, that's not a, a you know, a, a, huge, a huge tick in the liberal column right there. Right. Um, we,
7: we've done a lot mm-hmm. to
6: put, you know, put some Band-Aids on some surface level issues we have. Um, but there hasn't been, you know, the the real work of of digging deep and, you know, and really, you know, unburying the 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 trauma that has, you know, taken place for Black communities in Oregon for centuries hasn't happened. And I think, you know, I think that again, you know, we we just heard it that that, that you know, came to light especially after, um, you know, the BLM movement really blew up over this past summer. Um, you know, we saw a, a lot of Um, what were called riots (laughs) Um, let's be clear a lot of protests happening in Portland Mm -hmm. Um, it became uh, you know a a big national spotlight honestly was was put on Portland because of those protests and yet uh, you know the change hasn't actually occurred you know we've we've seen a lot of those first steps being taken and let me be clear those first steps are so so important you know they have to be taken um, and, and they're beautiful to see that we're finally starting to have these conversations and and actually talk about these root causes. But the change has to follow those first conversations. You know, the change has to follow the protests. And frankly, it's been few and far between where we've actually seen the follow through. So I think that, you know, the, you know, what exactly what Olita is saying is is completely true um, and gets to the heart of this issue.
0: I think that the gaslighting aspect is crucial, too, because we are being gaslit. We keep, they keep telling us how mm-hmm. it's us that the problem, the reason for so much mass incarceration is because of fatherless families mm-hmm. or because, mm-hmm. of, you know, we're in poverty or we're in on drugs. Never once do they make the claim like we do that we're subject to a crime against humanity, that much of this is being done on purpose, that even the poverty is manufactured and maintained where they call certain blocks million-dollar blocks because they generate so right. much money and revenue for the prison system. You know. So it's always us that's the problem and nobody else. If we just cut our dreads off, pulled up our pants, stopped smoking reefers, stop swearing, put on a tie, the whole world would change for us. And there is no secret to ending slavery for yourself or for your uh, family members without ending it legally.
6: And, and, I mean, that's exactly it, Max, and I think that you, you know, kind of got to this a little bit before you played that track, which is looking at the racial breakdown of the state of Oregon versus the racial breakdown of the prison population in Oregon, I think Mm -hmm. shows you exactly that, you know, this is not, and I mean, this is an issue across the country, but I think that it's, you know, exacerbated because of the, you know, history of black exclusion in Oregon, Um, you know, this is, this is not, it's not accidental, I know, as I was saying, this is very purposeful, there is a reason That you know, after spending three and a half years in Oregon, I walked into, uh, you know, into this prison and it was the blackest room I had been in 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 all my time in Oregon, you know, like, it is very, very purposeful that we have, you know, I mean, you know, going again, going back to the black exclusion laws, but even jumping forward to, you know, redlining, you know, there was a horrible redlining in in Oregon, Um, and again, across the country, but, um, but again, exacerbated because of this history um, and led to very manufactured poverty, um, you know, neighborhoods that are still relatively segregated, um, uh, you know, no one would ever say it like that, but, it's you know, in, in practice, that's what it is, you know, it's, it is black communities that are, you know, very, very small black communities, um, that have, you know, that are still in the places that they were when they were sharecropping, you know, and that, if that's not, if that doesn't say at all, I don't know what does.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, Oregon, at the time that I did that chart, it was about 40,000 people in the state who were considered African-American. Uh, Four Of million is like 40,000 or maybe 80,000, actually. So it's 2%. That will be 80,000, right? So it's 80,000 people, and they're being incarcerated at six to one. for so every 502 whites that are being incarcerated, there are 2,930 blacks. That is crazy. That's like a people under siege when you think of it like that. And it's, you know, something that's being hidden. So I'm hoping that we see some change now coming uh, from that, now that these numbers and, and this circumstance has been exposed by people like you and those who have been working with
7: you. Well, you and me
6: both. I'm, I'm hoping that this movement is, you know, is really only only just beginning. We are, um, you know, have put a lot into it these past few years, but we are, you know, it's, we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg. You know, there is so much <laughs> below the surface that we need to dig into and and we're we're getting there it's a slow process
0: but we're getting there we have a caller on the line Uh, would you mind uh if we took a call maybe they might have a question or comment for you
6: absolutely absolutely Um, okay
5: max i'm not sure if she has an actual question i think she may have pressed one by mistake this is a a friend of mine who's a lyricist that i invited and listened to the show Uh, because (laughs) i'm curious in getting her to make a track for the show (laughs) <laughs> oh, so, okay, so, uh, okay. I'm not sure you know she may be a little embarrassed if you bring on
0: <laughs> alright well if she doesn't actually want to come on we won't bring her on no problem you know there's some things that I was finding out about Oregon like uh, first of all uh, it's where they uh, took over what was it the animal preserve over there the ballot what was it the Malheur Patriots how do you pronounce that M-A-L-H-E-U-R Malheur Patriots
3: when they took over Meyer, a duck
0: preserve, yeah, that was where the Trumpites took over the preserve over there and barricaded themselves in not too long ago. Um, I was listening to some of the news about it. And just reminded me that like, oh, man, you got some crazy people over there. <laughs> I see they're even interested now in changing their uh, state song because the lyrics profess white supremacy. hmm
6: hmm and again i mean this is we're seeing this in in literally every facet of day-to-day life you know there's there's nothing that white supremacy doesn't touch there's nothing that the history um of our state and of our country you know it, it's tied you know inexplicably between between you know all of the the history of white supremacy and i think that you know there's i, I was talking to uh, friends about this recently and um and i said something along, along the lines of you know, if, if you tried to cut out, you know, everything that white supremacy has touched, you'd be standing in the middle of the ocean.
3: Now, it's trip, <laughs> for real.
6: That's, that's <laughs> right. not to say that we don't need to dig in and, and work on this. It's just to say that there's nothing it hasn't touched. It is, it is all-encompassing. And so this, this work is exhausting for that reason, you know, and also obviously invigorating. Um, but it, you know, it's every, every single aspect. Of our state's history of our state's present, and of our state's future um you know and again and the country um are, are tied to this and we have to we have to really focus on what we can change which is that that future aspect and, and hope that we can kind of untie sever of those ties um without obviously you know forgetting that history um, but making sure that we're we're changing the direction we're heading in
0: you know I've been working in state operations for about a year now, and I know that there are some trying times. So would you like to give any advice to the organizers who are listening now in their own states working on this uh, as well, since you've gotten to the point where now it's on the ballot and they're still working towards that? Because, you know, they're dealing with things like gag rules where they're not even scheduling the uh, bills or they won't allow anybody to speak on it. So what advice would you give them?
6: Yeah, it's a wonderful and really difficult question. Um, you know, this work is is truly is really hard. This work is hard. I mean, that's that's just that's the truth of the matter. You know, no sugarcoating it. Um, it's you know emotionally draining. Um, it's long and arduous. Um, and I think, frankly, I think we had a, a an incredible group behind us. Um, and that's that's my biggest my biggest advice is build your network. Um, you know, build build the community. They're there there's there are groups throughout you know every state that want to get involved in this and you know either don't know that there's an issue and so they don't know how to get involved um, or or don't know exactly what needs to be done you know i talked to a number of people early on in this uh, process from community organizers to elected officials who you know five minutes into a conversation would would look up at me and go what do you mean slavery is so legal we that what are you talking about and i'm like all right so let's 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 take a step back. I'll I'll go over it one more time. Um, and I think that the biggest issue is that, you know, this is not a widely talked about issue yet. And I think the, the national legislation is a huge, huge step to get this whole country talking about this problem. Um, but the biggest thing is, you know, have have some patience with the people that maybe want to do the right thing and just don't know what that is yet. Um, it's It's really hard work, but there are a lot of good people, a lot of good organizations out there that are waiting to, you know be able to to help with this you just have to have to find them
0: <laughs> that's good advice uh thank you very much i know yusuf had something he wanted to ask i interrupted him earlier sorry yusuf go ahead the mic is yours bro. Right. It's yours bro
5: sure it's no problem brother uh just going back to something that you had mentioned earlier given the history that most people early grade school they learned slavery was abolished abraham lincoln blah 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 so Going into the ballot for 2022, what is the process, like the education process that you have that is going to help people understand that, yes, slavery still exists? And also, some of the questions that are probably going to come up, so you probably have to have a strategy for answering that as well, is what happens afterwards? Like, is this just a legislative move? But What happens? We know the answer to that. We just want to see uh, some of the things that you all have planned out there in Oregon.
6: Yeah, no, great question. Wonderful question. Um, I think this work started with education. Um, And as I mentioned, you know, it was a lot of having conversations with people who didn't necessarily realize that this was an issue. Um, And that's going to have to continue. That's going to be a big, big part of our, of our push for the, um, you know, the statewide ballot campaign um, is going to be focused on talking to, you know, you know, one-on-one, you know, hoping to have conversations that, you know, just like this, that are, you know, Hey, there's actually a problem here, and, and it's not you know, not the end of the world that you don't know that it exists yet. But now that you do, you know, we got to do something about it. And so, education is going to be a huge aspect of, of our ballot campaign. Um, you know, on top of that, I think that it's important to note that while you know, again, while we talk about Oregon as a, you know a liberal bastion, you know, it's eh, you know it's not. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> so I think that we're we're going to be coming up against a a wall that is um, people who really, truly don't know that this problem exists, and a second, you know, wall that I think is going to be a, a lot harder to knock down, which is people who don't care. Um, and I think that that's, that's really where our involvement with, um, you know, our incarcerated counterparts really comes into play here is that, you know, incarcerated populations are really, really easy to um, to not pay attention to. It's a, they're a really easy group purposefully, again, very, very purposefully, they're an easy group to that, that, as you know, as a society that we have set aside, locked the door, and turned our backs on. Um, and so the people that we're talking about, who are constitutionally considered slaves, are not the people that are, you know, making a fuss in Portland. You know, so <laughs> we have to make sure that in addition to that educational campaign, we're lifting their voices. You know, that's that's really what I see as my role in this in this effort in this movement. Um, and I think I can I can speak for all of my um My colleagues in the oasis who are who are on the outside of the prison walls, um, you know we are really trying to lift up those voices of the people who are experiencing this harm firsthand, um, and I think that those those two things the education the educational component and the you know lifting these voices go hand in hand for this movement.
5: Thank you for that, and you've actually led to the perfect segue. We uh, actually have regular callers who call in from prison. You know, and we have a particular caller calling in from what they deem the last slavery uh, plantation, Louisiana State Prison at Angola. Uh mm-hmm. we're gonna bring Alonzo on the line. He has his uh, hand up. List. Alonzo, you on the air with uh Max Parthis and Jordan Scott. You uh how you doing, brother? Alonzo, are you there?
8: Yeah, asking you is you there.
5: We may have to give him a question. Yeah,
8: he, yeah. you air with Yeah, what's up, uh, brother and, uh and Max or whatnot. And uh, we also have
5: Jordan Scott from a shot from uh, Oregon on the air with us as well. All right or
8: whatnot, uh, just to technology or not, I apologize to the audience. <laughs> yeah, so uh yeah, uh man, we definitely appreciate the work that y'all are doing uh naturally. Uh uh Jordan Scott, that's, that's who you have on uh, on there,
0: uh Max? Yes.
8: All right, yeah, so we definitely appreciate uh, the sister work that she's actually doing or whatnot. And what what we want to do, we want to build on it. And one of the things that we're actually dealing with in Louisiana, uh, we have a Jim Crow jury system. And all of this was – Yeah, Oregon had the same uh, thing. Right, right. Oregon had the same thing, and it actually originated in Louisiana. White supremacists organized from Louisiana, and they went to Oregon and implemented this practice. So we're definitely in solidarity with the Oregon movement and or whatnot. Like, we're moving on different fronts, but we're working together in solidarity. So uh, one of the questions that I have of uh, uh, the guests is still on there or not, uh, like specifically dealing with legislators, like in Louisiana, uh, according to the Civil Rights uh, Division, their policies, no state agency can discriminate against a person based on race, religion, sex, and various other, uh, other criteria. However, we we have a state-sponsored white supremacist law known as the 10 9 unanimous Jim Crow jury scheme, which the United States Supreme Court, the law of the land, have announced that the practice is unconstitutional. So just like we're moving in solidarity with abolishing the slavery, we take that out of the 13th Amendment from a, a, a national one. this is the same thing that we ought to do collectively as, 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 a, as a country. Anytime a, a state is discriminating against its citizens for whatever reason, uh, it's a form of civic duty us to do whatever assistance that we could possibly do if it's just merely sharing uh the news feed and like you say we live in a technical society where everything is pretty much microwave or not a uh, 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 microwave uh, but what we need to do we need to build together of what is actually we, we actually have to have and build on that right now so I'll let uh, max sort of get uh, time in
0: so what was your question?
8: Uh, my question is that uh, I know they have uh, I think the, the the chairman over the House Judiciary Committee uh, under the civil rights, they have a duty and obligation to hold congressional hearings on any time a state agency discriminates against United States citizens. So how could we go about actually doing that? Do you have any type of opinions on that. Like right now, we have an actual petition where we have actually filed one to the Justice Department. And they actually have President Robert F. Kennedy actually sued the state of Louisiana in 1964. Think of that. Robert F. Kennedy behind the same 1989 1898, excuse me, 1898 convention that uh that, that, that the 10-2 jurisdiction uh, came under. So I'm asking, how can we get the rest of the nation involved from a, a national run on it? Max, if you will, let me, or uh, Jordan, if you well, will,
5: let me
0: answer for that for one second. He, he, I think he wanted it for Jordan. I know you got an answer. Okay. He's a lawyer.
6: Yeah. So <laughs> let, let, let's hear us let, Yes,
3: let's hear please, Jordan, I'm no,
6: sorry no that's okay i will i will definitely defer to the lawyer on that one but uh
5: but what i will say is that i think you know
6: we're, we're bringing up a, another really good point which is that this is a there are you know this this language in the constitution and in many state constitutions and in our national constitution is is the first of many 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 dominoes. you know we are we're working on knocking down this uh you know legal and constitutional justification for the way that we treat black people in our prisons um, and, 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 and everyone in our presence, but um, explicitly black people in our presence due to the history um, of slavery in this country. But that is just, the, again, the tip of the ice story, the very beginning. And I think that these non-unanimous juries are a huge, a huge next step. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I can very proudly say that, you know, Oregon uh, did, did start to tackle that recently. Um, and yet, you know, we also have had the unfortunate news recently that that is not going to be, um, something that applies um, you know posthumously, and so like it's you know it's it's very unfortunate that we have so many of these decisions that have already been made that are not going to be revisited um so i mean yeah it's it's a problem across across the country and and also even though Oregon has taken this step, it is still an issue in Oregon. That's thank a great you very answer, much
5: uh, thank you very much for that and I would just say as a caveat to that. Uh, Lonzo, you mentioned a, a, a particular word. You said citizenry, and we all know that based on the exception clause of the 13th Amendment, you all are not even considered citizens right now, that upon your your conviction you lost your 14th and 15th Amendment rights, and therefore the law doesn't even apply to you right now. And that's why it's, in, it's pertinent for us to have People like Jordan and the abolished Slavery National Network out here removing the exception clauses from the state constitution and the U.S. constitution because then you'll, you'll regain your citizenship rights and then you can start making moves toward other things. Right. I just want to uh, make mention about Oregon. Uh, the 10 rule was adopted in the 1930s and is permitting non-unanimous uh, verdicts. It was the result of the rise of the KKK and efforts to dilute the influence of racial, ethnic, and religious minorities on Oregon juries. And, you know, the court in its uh, Ramos decision, it even said Louisiana and Oregon have acknowledged that race was a motivating factor in those non-unanimous rules. And there are currently around 300 people in Oregon that could be affected. If the law was made retroactive. So thankfully, uh, Oregon Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum has said that she's making efforts to deal with cases, you know, on a case-by-case basis. So hopefully uh, things like that will be happening. And I know, Alonzo, you mentioned down there that there's the New Orleans Orleans Parish uh, prosecutor who's doing the same as well.
8: Yeah, uh, Jason, Jason Williams. Like I say, uh, our, our colleague, uh, uh, Jordan, uh, you can go to uh, any uh, social media feed of Jason Williams. He's our uh, third black uh, district attorney. He's running on a progressive uh, platform. Uh, well, I say I believe uh, Fair Prosecution, which is a, a Harvard uh, organization uh, where they're literally uh, re- recruiting candidates to run as a DA. Cause you got to realize. A lot of states or whatnot. If we put a progressive DA in those positions, a lot of things don't even have to come to law. Uh, the dilemma, the dilemma of it is that that the, the the dilemma of it is that once they actually leave out, like who we have to take their place. But Jason Williams was actually doing a lot so anybody in August you can follow that campaign and that's something that I applaud that it needs really needs to be done all across the state because he's actually creating a civil rights division where all of his 10 tools actually fall under that division uh, uh, so I definitely uh a man that all
0: right uh, here's what I got to do is because we're reaching the top of our hour I, I want to uh, take a moment to first make an invitation to our guest George shot. Uh, I know I asked you to stay an hour, but the invitation for you to stay as long as you want, talk with us throughout the whole program, is open to you. Uh, And if you have to do something else, if you're unable to have that time, I want to give you some time for final comments and things like that. So it's up to you. Would you like to continue to join us, or do you have uh, something that you have to attend? No,
6: I'm happy to stick around, happy to stick around.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. That awesome. sounds good. All right, so with that being said, let's go ahead and take another quick uh, clip of music break and listen to November 24th, 1865, when Mississippi criminalized unemployment and assembly by free blacks. And that will be followed by Logic from uh, Amer- Logic America Featuring Black Thought, Chuck D, Big Lingo, and no ID. You're listening to Abolition Today at abolitiontoday.org with Yusuf Hassan, Max Parthas, and our guest, Oregon's organizer for the abolitionist movement, Jordan Schott. We'll be right back after this. Abolition Abolition. Today.
4: In Abolition. November and December, 1865, shortly after the end of the Civil War, southern states sought to control their large populations of newly freed black people, laws were passed authorizing the arrest and jailing of blacks. These laws became known as Black Codes. They typically applied only to blacks and criminalized acts that were not offenses when committed by whites. On November 24, 1865, Mississippi passed a Black Code declaring that all freedmen, free Negroes, and mulattoes found without proof of employment or found unlawfully assembling themselves would owe up to $50 in fines and serve up to 10 days in jail. As a result of black codes, the post-Civil War era brought American black citizens more contact with the criminal courts and prison systems than ever before. As the former Confederacy learned to use the criminal justice system as a tool of racial control, countless black men, women, and children were convicted and sentenced under unjust laws that criminalized them for existing as free black citizens.
2: I promise that the only Make America great again Make it hate again Make it white Make everybody fight Fuck that Street's disciple My rap's a trifle I shoot flux for my brain Just like cocaine And everybody wonder Why the world is I got the gun club, in the shadow of a nation that it once was All this false information I'ma unplug Young blood, it is not love I'm a Trump thug, dot gov The man in the high castle in a hot tub We locked in a podcast, it is popped up like plastic surgery Classic surgery The way to complete the to the thirteenth to stop the search me Controversy Them boys in the Klansman hood, is thirsty But hey motherfuckers, really shit. Never look and feel, slap that fear, my at that wheel. Olive branches in the arrow seal. Turn to the facts mean a lie and steal. Had to go to ban a whole refugee population for the land they stole. In the name government, rich white men, why the rest be suffering. Run for the lockdown borders in like Glenn ain't got clean water. Dirty politics never come clean. Can y'all believe this shit 2017? care about black people, 2017 and Donald Trump is the sequel, so shit, I say what Kanye won't. wake the fuck up and get the people what they want, man it's all love but the youth is confused, your music is 2020 but then political views, is blurred, I ain't trying to leave your name blurred, cause honestly I idolize you on everything my word, but I gotta say what be said, cause I ain't fucking with the hat with the colors that's white and red, I know some people with the ass white instead, they say I use my pigment as a manifestation to get ahead, fuck that, everything I do I do it right, To teach the people that they had the power to fight, and I was semi automatic bullets in the so everybody everywhere listen to this fact Nobody treated equally, especially the black If you don't get it the first time, bring it back Now everybody gotta fight for equal rights Cause the richest people in the whole world equal rights To make it happen, no, we don't need patience And not violence. giving hospitals more patients now Don't burn down the mom and pop shop I'm just as angry another person got shot Don't be angry at the color of the skin Just be happy that other people we can begin again and I'ma tell you what I need right now I'ma tell you what we all need I need my people of color.
3: Don't run from Trump, run against him. This motherfucker, I'm really. 38 talk, I don't give a fuck, I don't give a damn I just wanna live, I just wanna eat But I got to do it for the hood, door, door for the street uh, Dope in the trunk,
9: creeping out the cut Nine by the gut, never get enough, I don't give a fuck Do motherfuckers move backwards Fast the hustle, something in the dump Before you bastards, grind over chatter Keys on my mind like a packer, only thing matter Bitch, scatter, you in my way About to spray the A-game, middle of the day Like this shit's okay Never had a job, never had an education
2: Only no probation Never had a job, never had an education
8: yeah, I never had a chance in this world I never had one No, I never had a chance in this world I was labeled the bad one yeah, yeah, yeah. Now send the blacks back to Africa build a war for the Mexicans Send the whites back to Europe Get a land to the Native American Take the skyscraper
0: Appodition. 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 Man, we realize it comes over here, you know. Everything we fight dropping is real. I right
5: now. <laughs> I want to <laughs> fight somebody right now.
0: We need to beat slavery like it stole somebody.
5: Right, <laughs> so,
0: Jordan. What you think of that, man? Uh, the clip and the uh, the uh, piece oh, from November twenty fourth. All this music keeps just just hyping me up. Every every <laughs> song you play, I'm like
6: getting yeah, so into it. You know, I think it's so important that, you know, again we talk about how, you know, how hard this work is and how serious it is and at the same time, you know, like you gotta be able to to smile a little and I think that, that you know, there's a lot of a lot of this music and a lot of these clips that you're playing that, you know, it it, it feels like a community, you know? It feels like a lot of this work feels feels very lonely, feels very, you know, like, like there's so few people that are aware of it and care about it. Um, mm-hmm. but definitely there is, there are a lot of people across this country that are, you know, very aware of what's going on and care deeply about this and are working their asses off to make sure this happens. So I, I love it. I'm, I'm digging this.
0: <laughs> yeah. If, if you ain't got no music, you ain't got no movement. That's what I'm talking about. You know, <laughs> exactly.
6: That's <it> right there.
0: <laughs> and, uh, if you're listening, you like the music, you can always find our playlist at abolition today on YouTube. Uh, just go and click our music pay- playlist. We've got about a dozen playlists on everything you can imagine regarding slavery and slavery abolition. So go and get yourself educated <laughs> while you're rocking some banging tracks. But you see how uh, Mississippi did that back in 65, you know, November 24th. Uh, here they are right after the 13th Amendment and they criminalized unemployment and assembly by free blacks. And he said it was a tool of racial control. I don't see where it's changed what do you think yeah
6: I think I mean that's that's it it hasn't changed <laughs> that's the the baseline there um I think the bottom line is is that we are we are just still doing the same things that we've been doing, and I think that that's what can just be very frustrating and, and really get you down is, is feeling like we've just gone in circles for 150 years, you know? Um, and again, that's that's a little bit of a negative view, and there's been so much incredible work that that has happened and has been successful um, and, and is continuing to be, um, but I definitely think that, you know, there's a lot of this that feels, you know, feels like one step forward and two steps back often.
0: Yeah, I feel like that every Juneteenth. <laughs> like for real you know like and look what happened this juneteenth like we were making such momentum on juneteenth your senator as well as the uh representative the congresswoman out of georgia uh congresswoman williams announced the abolition amendment a federal amendment on juneteenth and it was planned months and months in advance and then out of nowhere they the they make Juneteenth a holiday to celebrate what, the end of slavery? Haven't you been listening to what people were saying? Like three, right. four different states just had hearings on it, you know, about the bills, including Oregon. And then the Oregon senator introduces it. So I just thought that was very suspect how that played out. So your thoughts, Jordan?
6: Oh, absolutely suspect. I completely agree. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. So the, the group that we work with inside of Oregon State Penitentiary is um, Uhuru Sasa. Um, the Black Cultural Club within OSP Um, and the men we work with put on um, a a number of incredible events um, inside and uh, for Juneteenth they put on an event and asked us to send in in some videos and and myself and um, the other uh, organizers outside with Oasis um, sent in a video essentially saying you know happy Juneteenth we've done so much and also look how much further we have to go you know Juneteenth is a great reminder of the steps we've taken over the last few centuries and also, you know, how many more there are still to be taken. I think that that's a really important aspect here is that, you know, we we can stand there and celebrate and make this a, a holiday. Sure. Okay. But frankly, for, for black communities, it has been a holiday, you know, we, the, the, the proclaiming of it on a national or federal level um, as a holiday it doesn't change the, you know, the cookouts so that are happening already to celebrate Juneteenth. But just, you know, in, in some ways, seemingly it's just a, um, you know, a way for white America to also get to celebrate it. And it does feel a little bit, um, you know, undermining of the progress we've made and also of how much we have still to do when you say, oh, yeah, but look, like we made it a holiday, so can y'all, you know, Smile and shut up now, mm-hmm. now that we've made it a holiday, we're all good, right? And it's it's it's, it's a really frustrating aspect of this work to exactly what you're saying, to have these two pieces of federal legislation come down on the same day. One that says, hey, look, we're done with slavery, and the other that says, no, we're really, really not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, not even close to it. You know, just about every aspect of chattel slavery uh, that you could think of is still in existence today. Uh, you know, even the auctions. You know, we don't sell people on an auction block in Charleston anymore. That's not how slavery works. Instead, you can sit at your desk and purchase for-profit private prison stocks, or you can purchase jail bonds. And by owning these mm-hmm. stocks, guess what you are now? You're a slave owner because the stocks are investments that the prisons and jails stay. And not just stay filled, but they expand So you make more money uh, You know, mm-hmm. we just saw New Jersey Shut down an entire prison, woman's prison Not because of what the inmates Were doing, but because they couldn't stop the guards From molesting and raping and abusing The inmates uh, Any commentaries?
6: Yeah, I mean, you know There's, there's no end To the, you know The depths of how fucked up our prison system is. <laughs> you know, we talk about it as as you know as our for-profit prisons are, are really fucked and, and they are um and also so is the rest of the prison system you know we're we're talking about again you know a group of people that we collectively as a society have told don't matter don't affect the rest of us um and actually you know purposefully cannot affect the rest of us um and we've thrown them away and turned our backs and it's just i mean heartbreaking to to think about this as you know like these are human beings that we are you know, completely disregarding, we, you know, again, as a society, collectively, tell tell them that they just don't matter. Um, and, and then we sh- and then we prove it, you know, we, we do things like that's exactly what you're talking about. And, and many other examples, I'm sure there are, um, that just, you know, behind the words of, you know, we don't care about you as human beings. And it's absolutely devastating, you know, especially as, you know, throughout the last year and a half, two years, even, um, you know, I've gotten to know um, you know, a number of incarcerated individuals very well, and, you know, as this is not to, you know, to put aside the crimes that they committed, the harms that they've done, um, but it is to say, you know, people are capable of change, um, people are deserving of forgiveness and of a chance at redemption, and our prisons pretend that they do that, but they just don't, you know, we talk about our prison systems as, as places for rehabilitation, but they're not, you know, our, our prisons are, are very, very much not rehabilitative. And it's devastating to, to really, you know, look that in the eye and realize that we just don't care about a large number of people that we have thrown behind bars.
0: Right, uh, we we understand that there is such a thing as crime, and there are people who commit atrocious crimes. And for whatever reason, they should not be in society. They need to be separated. But we don't have to be animals to deal with people who are monsters. We don't have to be that. We can have a humane system. There's other nations that do have humane systems. Like right? throwing people away for life without parole is crazy. Uh, there's nations where you cannot serve more than 25 years or 20 years in prison. And if a person can't change in 20 years, there ain't no changing, <laughs> you, you know? Right. Uh, so, But we also know that the a large portion of our prisons and jails are filled with people who should have never been in there to begin with. And the only reason they're there is because they generate a profit. It's an economic development program, and just by possession of your body, there's they get x per diem uh, a, a amount of money coming from the taxpayers, and it varies. I think in Oregon it might be like what is it, like fifty, sixty thousand a year to incarcerate an individual in Oregon. Mm-hmm,
6: mm-hmm. Yeah, Somewhere yeah, around I that. that, number, but that
0: sounds right. yeah. But, yeah, it varies. Like in places like Alabama, where they've already proven that there are constitutional violations occurring, it's about twenty-five grand a year. And in New York, it's three hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. And everywhere in between, you know, depending on whether you're incarcerating a male, a female, or a minor. Minors are always much, much more. Here in South Carolina, it's a hundred and sixty thousand a year to incarcerate a single minor.
5: it's a long-term investment that's probably why it's more
0: so if you look up like the whole pie they have this thing called the whole pie by the prison policy initiative and you can see exactly why people are incarcerated it's it's mind-blowing you know like there's people in there thousands of people in for public disturbance (laughs) and not to mention the technical violations of probation are huge I think Oregon's got like seventeen, eighteen thousand people on probation, and then any minute, any one of them could end up right behind bars for some technical violation.
6: Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, our, you know, again, like the the prison, right, we talk about the prison system also as, you know, as within those four walls, but it's definitely not It extends, you know, far beyond that. And exactly what you are talking about, you know, with parole and probation. You know, the the prison system doesn't doesn't end when you are released necessarily. For many people. You know, the you are still stuck in this system, and it's just not—it's not healthy for for the individuals who have, you know, been incarcerated. It's not healthy for our society as a whole. It's been, you know, proven that for a lot of, you know, victims of crime, it's not helpful either. So it's like just we have—we've created this entire system that works for absolutely no one except to profit the people that are invested in it. And again, you know, we're we're absolutely putting monetary gain over hundreds of thousands of lives across this country. And that's, I mean, you know, that's just devastating. It's really, really devastating.
0: I want to get your opinion on something, a piece of news that came out recently. (laughs) Uh, I think it was July 14th, 2021. And this is from businessinsider.com. The headlines say, Mm -hmm. the U.S. government just warned companies that even indirect ties to forced labor in China's Xinjiang province risk breaking the law. Uh, They went on to say that the U.S. on Tuesday cautioned companies that invest, provide venture capital, or have supply chains tied to the Xinjiang or Yingyang region of China run a high risk of violating U.S. law due to widespread reports of forced labor and other human rights violations against ethnic minorities in the region. The U.S. has accused China of committing genocide and crimes against humanity in Xinjiang, uh, citing the arbitrary mass detention of mostly Muslim ethnic groups in the region and what the Chinese government calls re-education camps. The government has also forcibly sterilized, tortured, and sexually abused ethnic minority prisoners in these camps, according to former detainees. And finally, companies who don't pull out of the region could violate statuses that criminalize benefiting from or importing goods that are the results of forced labor. The advisory also warned U.S. companies against assisting in the development of surveillance tools for uh, Chang Chang or supplying U.S.-made, I know I say different every time, one of them is going to be right, or supplying U.S.-made goods to ent- entities that use forced labor. Uh, commentary on that?
6: Yeah, I mean, the U.S. is absolutely the first country to point fingers at um, other uh, human rights violations while committing atrocities while they, you know, in the same brand.
0: Worse than theirs, right? Right. right. Yeah, it was, It's
6: extraordinarily frustrating to to hear, you know, I mean, that, and, you know, there's many examples of exactly that of, of the U.S., um, you know, saying, oh, look at how horrible this country is treating their people. Look at how horrible this country is treating their people. And it's like, Maybe you want to look in the mirror, you know, maybe let's do some introspection here and, and talk about how we're treating the people that are, you know, sitting in our prisons and jails. And it's the the inability to reflect is just absolutely so like I mean it's frustrating It's the only word I can think of. It's so, so annoying. Um, it's history
0: repeating, right? <laughs>
6: exactly, exactly. It is just the same thing over and over and over again.
0: This is the founding fathers declaring all men created equal while owning slaves.
6: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know,
0: So they're pointing their fingers at China going, okay. don't you dare. And if anybody helps them, you're on our shit list. <laughs> Meanwhile, your crimes are even greater than China's. Everything they said, mm-hmm. sterilization of minorities, torture of minorities, sexual abuse, ethnic minorities. That's all happening right now in our prison system, including the labor part. And we've got more people in prison than China does. And china got a billion freaking people.
6: Yeah, we we over incarcerate more than any other nation. (laughs) We treat our um, incarcerated individuals in absolutely inhumane ways. It's it's extraordinary that we can really be this naive um, to, to look at other countries and say you're where the problem lies without, you know, without recognizing. And I think that this is another, you know, another aspect of this is that this is why, I mean, it's, it's very purposeful. The way we've designed our prison system is to be able to ignore it. You know, we've, we've, we've put these people away and we're able to turn our backs and pretend that they don't exist, and it's a lot easier To, you know, once you've turned your back, to look out across the ocean and find a different country that's doing something you don't like than it is to recognize, like, ah, shit, like, we're also really fucking up over here. We need to do something about that.
0: Stay louder for the people in the back. They might not have heard it. You know, let me say it in the song. Everything we're talking about really shit up in here. You know, this is, like, the root cause uh, it touches every aspect of our life, from the cradle to the grave, literally. Uh, like, I have a question for you, Jordan. In Oregon, do you know if people get their voting rights back after they've been released for serving time under a felony?
6: So it's really interesting you asked that. This is a, um, an issue that we actually, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to remember the name of the bill or the number of the bill now, uh, but this is a bill that was discussed this session, actually. Um, was yeah. the restoration of of voting um, rights for for previously incarcerated individuals?
5: We actually mentioned it a few months ago, Max. Yeah, I'm trying to look it up real quick because Max and I did cover it, you know, maybe two months ago.
0: One of the, I guess, part of the point I was making by asking you that is that these are lifetime losses. You got to go out after serving your time. You got to pay taxes. And you get no representation. You don't get the chance to vote. And it's happening at a rate of six to one for a 2% population. So every time they come out of those prisons, they cannot vote anymore. Can't even participate in the dec- docu- uh, democratic uh, exercise because of previous incarceration. And that's happening to as many, as few as six million and as many as 10 million people collectively across this country. How do you stop six to ten million people from voting and that not, not be a crime in itself?
6: I mean yeah that's the question that's exactly the question. and I think you know I don't have an answer for it. I wish I did, but I think that the, you know, the really frustrating part about that, especially, is that you know we again, we talk about this as if like you know oh well, well, now that we recognize our history and we know that there's a problem we can we can you know vote to make change well, we can't if a, a fair majority um, of the people most impacted are not able to engage in the democratic process after conviction. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think that change is going to occur, you know, when when we're not allowing the people that are most impacted to have their voices heard.
0: And it's a double whammy. Uh, let me just throw this in there. It's a double whammy because, first of all, you're only representing 2% of the population. So to get uh, represented in your state is impossible to begin with uh, unless you get the sympathy of the ruling class because uh, you only rep- you only have 2% of the voters, right? <laughs> so that hits you on top of not being able to vote. Uh, so it's almost impossible for you to get representation because, as you can see, you're dealing with unique issues, and they can't seem to get, get addressed. But we're lucky in Oregon people like you and others are, are addressing it. Absolutely.
5: Max, I actually found it. It's, uh, so there are two proposals before the uh, House and Senate to restore the voting rights of roughly 12,600 prisoners in custody around the state. It's House Bill 2366 and Senate Bill 571. This has been as of February, so we have to, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if, Jordan, you know anything about this.
6: Yeah, I'm glad you found those numbers. Um, Neither of those bills passed this session. So my understanding is that in Oregon, and I'm I'm trying to to find this right now to double check, but I'm pretty sure that um, once you are released, you are able to vote, but you have to re-register. Um, And what those two, those numbers that you just said, the uh, 2366 and 571, what those bills would have done um, is allow people who are currently convicted of a felony and and incarcerated um, to register, um, update their voter registration and vote in election. And you said that didn't
5: pass?
6: Yeah, neither of those bills made it. Uh, I think they both had maybe one public hearing each, maybe two, um, and then uh, a in committee.
0: Wow, six to ten million as people.
6: As as we're saying, there's a lot more work to be done, and that's the you know the overwhelming overwhelming aspect of this movement is that there is just no end to the to the wrongs we need to right. Right,
0: cradle to grave, even preschool, where they uh, basically uh, I guess punish the children uh, dark children more than they do the white. When they get up into regular school, they suspend them more. Uh, Then they do their counterparts, and they have this thing called the school-to-prison pipeline, which is very real. So it seems to all be generated around incarceration and racial control, Uh, and that's what we're trying to end. We know that removing the exception clause is not going to free people from jails and prisons, but it opens a door that has never been opened in this country before where we get to challenge badges and incidents of slavery without – a constitutional protection for it uh, commentary on that
6: yeah absolutely i'll, I'll, I'll address two aspects you just said you know one of them is that this, this idea of the school to prison pipeline is is huge and is an, a, an enormous issue in our country um and it was another issue actually that um that oregon took up this session um and i believe that a bill actually did pass that um addressed the school to prison pipeline and, and looked at suspensions and expulsions in um, early childhood care um, that, you know, we obviously were seeing very disproportionately BIPOC children um, being uh, suspended and expelled, um, and, you know, at, at ages as early as two or three, you know, these, these students were, were being suspended and expelled at, you know, extraordinary rates as compared to their white peers, and these were, um, you know, issues that were talked about a lot throughout this session. Um, and and are addressed, which you know again we can. You know, I you know I'll, I'll shit on Oregon, I'm, I'm being a, a liberal bastion, but you know at least at least we did we did do something this session. Um, <laughs> and I'll I'll add that you know you, again you're bringing up a great point, which is that this is it's creating on grave. You know we're we're talking about children that you know are so young they don't even you know we, there are studies that prove that they don't even recognize race that are being you know absolutely you know their lives are being negatively impacted by virtue of their race from an extremely young age and it's devastating and and hopefully this legislation is you know a first step to uh, to addressing that
0: earlier I pointed out the exorbitant prices that we pay as taxpayers to incarcerate teenagers it's just ridiculous uh, how much money we're willing to invest into incarcerating the same teenagers that we also we're not willing to spend money to help with their schools Or with their supplies or with their uh futures at all we don't have a dime to spend on them but let them commit one alleged crime or be accused of a crime and immediately you've got a hundred thousand two hundred thousand a year to spend on them as much as three and four hundred thousand in some states to spend on them because they now are classified as a criminal and that kind of points out what this is all about you know we have become the product uh, literally, we are the uh, the product in this system of human slavery, bondage, and what can be called genocide to a very large degree. I kind of broke that down a, c- a couple of weeks ago where the differences in numbers, there's like 150 million white men, boys, and babies. And there's uh, only about 23 million black men, boys, and babies. If you take a million from that 23, when only half of them are males and the million is all males, that's catastrophic. But if you take a million from 145, 150 million, it, it barely makes a ripple, if you understand what I mean. Those people's lives matter, but collectively, it doesn't affect the whole as greatly as it does when you take that same number away from only 23 million. And that's what's happening. We've got a million black people, a million white people, and about... Uh, three hundred thousand of us uh three four hundred thousand Hispanics and other uh ethnicities, and the effect it has on the black community is just catastrophic
6: it is it is i mean what you're, you're explaining generational trauma perfectly, which is that you know we over incarcerate black men especially um and then we expect black boys to grow up without fathers. <laughs> Um, And, you know, I think that there's a a trope here a little bit that that is, you know, overplayed, but there's also a lot of truth behind it, which is that you take away, you know, a a significant portion of a community um, and you expect that community to not rebel against that. And when that community rebels against that in, in whatever way that looks, you throw them in jail and prison, too. And the cycle does not end. You know, the cycle is is monstrous and just continues to affect the next generation of black children just over and over and over again. And it's absolutely devastating.
0: Um, Jordan, what I want to do is play one more song for us while you're here on the air. And when we come back on the other side, I would like you to give us uh, whatever advice and final comments or ways that people can help. Uh, when we get back on the other side. But before that, I want to remind our listeners that you can always go to endtheexception.com. You can do that right now. And if you fill that out over there, it only takes a few seconds, it immediately sends a letter of support to your state senator, to your state congress uh, person, as well as local officials. It's an amazing tool. And uh, you can support and help us end slavery uh, in this age right now by going endtheexception com And don't forget to use the hashtag. All right, well, the next track I'm going to play is, uh, I don't usually play these too often, but it's one of my own. It's 30 Silver Pieces uh, by Max Parthus, featuring King of Mean and the Dupper. We'll be right back after
4: this. Abolition. After Abolition. Day. Why, are yeah. Why, are Why are you sleeping? Why are you
0: sleeping?
3: Get up. Get up. We pray that you do not into temptation. <laughs> But this is your hour to act, when the power of darkness rules.
0: While moving in stealth It don't take a sixth sense To know that 6% owns 60% Of the entire world's wealth And the world's health Is like an open festering wound With children dying all over AIDS, poverty, and starvation While some nations exclamation Extortion done is standard practice The fact is we the people take your place to make steps, and if you're thinking that you're immune, shit, I got some news for you, you're next, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't we all in the same sphere, so this being done to them over there, it's also touching us over here, being aware, being aware, being aware can be a curse, when there's so few who truly see, that what is happening to you is also happening to me, it just happens to be, the price we pay to live a lie, and it's Still amazes me to see what 30 silver pieces continues to buy. It's those 30 silver pieces that got my people's mind blown. Thirty silver pieces on the seeds that were sold. Thirty silver pieces stole my piece of peace. Thirty silver pieces paid in full to the beast.
5: Was 30 Silver Pieces by the OG master poet, wordsmith, prismatic dreams, Max Parthas, who just happens to be my co-host on Abolition Today. You're listening to Abolition Today with Yusuf Hassan, Max Parthas, and our guest, Jordan Shot. So, Jordan, how'd you like the track?
6: Well, Max, I knew you were a badass, but I didn't know that you had all that talent. That was awesome. I loved that. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much. Yeah, I don't usually play it too much, but we have uh, been nominated for a Grammy, and at one point, uh, my wife and I were considered the top two poets in the country, in the world, and in our state. Well, that is
6: phenomenal, and I can absolutely see why.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> you gave me a blessing one time when it comes to spoken word. Uh, that was the first time I ever testified for this issue. At your invitation to come and testify, on behalf of SJR SJR 10 in Oregon, so thank you for giving me that opportunity. I've done it several times since then.
6: Well, I was I'm glad to have to have uh, you know had that had that place in in your uh, story. That's, that's wonderful, and, and you did a phenomenal job. And you know, as you mentioned earlier, you know we had a you know a, a wonderful array of people who were able to come and testify for us and. Um, and this this work absolutely would not have gotten done without every single one of them. You know, you mentioned um, Jordan, uh, same name, different spelling. Uh,
7: Uh uh, 11-year-old Jordan,
6: who actually just turned 12, so I have to get used to calling her 12-year-old Jordan now. Uh, But she is our youngest member of Oasis and an absolute firecracker, um, was an incredible speaker, um, and really moved mountains um, in this process, was able to just really capture the hearts um, of a number of electeds that were uh, very instrumental um, in, in ensuring this, this change occurred. So, you know, we can't, we can't thank you all enough for, for both Jordan, you, and, you know, again, the, frankly, the dozens of others that submitted um, either written or um, oral testimony in support of SJR-10. It was absolutely instrumental.
0: Like I said, when given the opportunity, people will choose to end slavery en masse, I suspect. Just like you got so many people that submitted testimony, they'll be willing to vote the same way. And because they're not voting for a particular person, they're voting for an issue that they know affects Mm -hmm. them directly. I think it'll bring them out. Um, I'd like to take this time to give you an opportunity to say whatever it is you want to say, uh, Jordan. And if we can help you in any way or our listeners can help you, where they can go to do that.
6: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, first of all, thank you both so much for having me on. This has been, you know, phenomenal. It's it's so invigorating to be able to just, you know, chat about this issue with, with others who are so deeply invested in it. Um, you know, Oasis is a, a grassroots organization. We um, have, you know, it's, it's really, you know, a, a core group of um, of outside organizers, um, a, a wonderful array of organizations that have lined up behind us and of course um our our inside crew and i I'd, I'd love to call them out especially um Theron Anthony abdur Rashid TJ Kenny and Dwayne you know these guys have been i mean instrumental is too small of a word they've been um you know they've been the heart of of this movement they have led us in the right direction you know and and kept us kept us going you know throughout this entire process so you know my my you know extreme gratitude goes out to them for all of the work they put into this um, we've really just been able to be the, the mouthpiece on the outside of the prison walls for them. Um, as far as next steps for our organization, um, you know, please feel free. Um, OasisPrisonCoalition.org um, is our website. Uh, we are uh, working on updating that with all of the changes that have happened in the last few weeks. So apologies um, as that is not entirely up to date right now, but please go check us out. And um, we've got uh, a way to contact us through that if you're interested in getting more involved again we are entirely a grassroots organization and um we are an all volunteer organization and just working on um you know making you know making these these taking these small steps to make the big change um is really where we're at right now and especially as we turn our attention to the uh the ballot um which is going to be uh quite the uh quite the process over the next year and a half um we would uh, would welcome um, more individuals getting involved in this work. It's extremely important and, you know, takes takes an army to, <laughs> to really get this done. So that's where you can find us. We're um, also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, I believe. Um, same, same at OSS Prison Coalition. Um, you can find us there. Um, so, yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, we are super excited about this work. Um, and obviously, it, you know, only only gets us more excited when when other people are excited too so, awesome. oh we stay
0: hyped over here <laughs> Shit, we, we really we <laughs> do. fight fighting like our lives depend on it because it does uh once again that's uh george the shot the co-founder and director of legislative strategy for oasis which is oregonians against slavery and involuntary servitude i love the name that is awesome uh, it's been a pleasure having this conversation Thank you. I hope that we get the chance to do it again after you win. That's what I'm looking forward to. So, you know, the That's day right. after the win or whatever Sunday is close <laughs> Make sure that you <laughs> hold a spot for us to come on abolition today so that we can celebrate with you, okay, Jordan?
6: Absolutely, I am I am looking forward to that. Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. Now listen, again, I, then, you don't need please. Go ahead, you
5: I was just gonna please uh Keep in contact to keep, you know, give us updates as to what's going on and, you know, any information that you want us to get out there as well.
6: Oh, and, absolutely. I will definitely stay in touch.
0: And you don't have to leave right now either. What we're going to do is just finish off by thanking our sponsors and partners, and then we're going to end with a track uh what we call a segment. is called Bridging the Gap, where we uh, bring the words of our ancestors the former abolitionists back to life so that this new generation can learn from them i think you'll enjoy that um so it's been a pleasure and uh, i'm gonna go ahead and pass the mic to my man yusuf so he can start by thanking our responsible partners
5: yes absolutely so we want to thank jailhouse Lawyers speak i am we Ubuntu prison advocacy network sama urge quakers uplifting racial justice the Paul Cuffee Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Black Talk Radio Network. So uh, remember, Abolition Today is on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Join the movement at AbolishSlavery.us and also the Uh Going into our Bridging the Gap, uh, you want me to introduce it, Max, or do you want to introduce it?
0: Um. All right. Yeah. I, sure. I will introduce it. Why not?
5: Okay, also, want to say
0: thank you to our listeners for tuning in and everything that you heard today. You can find on our Facebook page at Abolition Today, and make sure you follow us at Abolition Today on YouTube for all the news, music, and views that you hear today. Our bridging the gap tonight is going to be Marsha Ballard. She's the author of the book Slavery as a Punishment, and she's going to be talking about the Charles Sumner prophecy. Charles Sumner was a congressman at the time of the 13th Amendment's adoption, and he made a prophecy in regards to it. And after that, you'll hear our first time playing this brother here on Abolition Today in two years, Tupac. Holler if you hear me. You've been listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. If you like what we're doing, please feel free to make a donation to our cash app at dollar sign Abolition CTR with a capital A and a capital C. And make sure you visit uh, the website of our guests, here tonight, the uh, from Oasis uh, Coalition. One, let me let me get it right. It's the oregon dot org. Oasis dot org. You can find her on all the social media at that. All right, you've been listening to Abolition today, and we'll be back next week, same time, same channel. Until then, think about abolition today. Abolition
9: Abolition today. I'm today. going to read abolition. what I call the Sum of which I found amazing. Sumner expressed bitter disappointment over the exception clause in the 13th Amendment. He later prophesied in his book, the condition of the Freeman will be deplorable. Exposed to everyday brutality, he will not be heard as a witness against his oppressor. Compelled to pay taxes, he will be excluded from all representation in the government. Without." Uh, federal, political, and civil enfranchisement enforcement, the security of the emancipation is illusionary. It's a jack-o'-lantern which the poor slave will pursue in vain. Even if slavery ceases to exist, it will give it a place to a condition hardly less fall. There will be serfdom, apprenticeships, peonage, or some other device of slavery. According to the poet, there are different circles of hell, each with its own terrible torment, and the unhappy African will only escape from one of these to another. And all this will be beyond correction or remedy if it is not the onset guarded against in organic law. The prophecy that he made was to me jarring because it showed in detail what was going to happen that yes we were going to you know abolish slavery but because we put it right back in uh, as a a punishment for a crime any any uh, law especially state law that considered the laws that existed before the end of slavery, which were the black codes, could be brought back in and reapplied so that uh, you could get arrested as a black person for just about anything. What I would like to do right now is just to read a a piece uh, in doing this research that I found about about what happened to Charles Fena that I I, I find uh, very shocking and um, very much uh, it it, it happened back in 1856 but considering what happened at the state capitol recently uh, this could be like a precursor to to that event This was a speech that he had made that talked about, should Kansas be admitted to the Union as a slave state or a free state? And it was on May 19th, 1856. And it was called Crimes Against Kansas. Sumner, in this long speech, identified two Democratic senators as the principal culprits in this crime stephen douglas of illinois and andrew butler of south carolina he characterized douglas to his face as a noisome squat and nameless animal and charged butler with taking a mistress who though ugly to others is always lovely to him though polluted in the sight of the world is chased in his sight i mean at a harlot harlot. slave On May 22nd, so this is just a few days after he gave the speech, Representative Preston Book from South Carolina entered the chamber and beat unsuspecting someone unconscious with the metal tip cane that he carried. So just so you know, there have been
2: violence. There has been violence in these chambers before. Abolition. every day. Every day. Every day. Too many families
3: have been affected by wrong
2: death. This system and this country has tore apart my family and our family. You can't have a black family and be together. How many more funerals do we gotta go to? And how many more scenes of the crime do we gotta watch them chalk out black figures on the concrete before we realize that the only way for us to ever get out of this predicament is to struggle to survive? we we trying to fight for it. Ain't nobody going to give it to us, we just going to have to take it. Oh uh, yeah, uh uh, holla if you hear man, uh. yeah. Here we go, turn it up, let's we from block to block.
0: all if you hear me